Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. We're learning how to fight right. Fight right. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is having one of his many private conversations and teaching times with uh, his disciples, and he's speaking on one of the topics that he loves to talk on, and that's forgiveness. And Jesus, uh, as he's speaking on this, uh, Peter, who's uh, typically trying to fight for the head of the class, teacher's pet, so, so what you're saying is we should forgive people seven times. That's more than twice what uh, would be expected. And Jesus says, no, not, not seven times. At least in Matthew's gospel, I think it's, it's 77. He says, not seven times, Peter, it's 77 times. And that introduces this idea that, that God loves to forgive. That's, that's why he's using that exaggerated number, or maybe not so exaggerated. It, it is one of the primary ways to practice the way we should live. I mean, if you wanted a single verse to, to navigate your life, a purpose, a vision verse, it would be Malachi 6.8, where it says this. this is, he has shown you, O man, what is good. Here's how you live. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's, there it is. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And one of the primary applications that we get to experience in this life is, is forgiveness. We were spending two weeks during these Thanksgiving weekends on, and learning how to do that. Last week, we learned how to make it easy to receive forgiveness. We talked about repentance, about what we need to do to make a person uh, more, I don't know, open to giving us forgiveness. And this week we're going to look at how we can give forgiveness, how we can give forgiveness to other people. To forgive is to be divine, to be like God is when we forgive. God is, loves forgiveness. I find in my own life, and I think in many people's lives, people have considerable amounts of difficulties with forgiveness. And one of the reasons is they don't understand what forgiveness is. They, they think they do, but but there's a misunderstanding. They confuse it with other topics that might sound similar, but they're not at all. They're, they're afraid that if they forgive someone, that that person would get off scot-free and there'd be no consequence to them, and then they'd have to endure all the suffering, or that if they forgive someone, then they would have to live maybe happily ever after or try to with a toxic person, and that's not true because forgiveness uh, it does, does not necessarily withhold justice. Act justly, right? Love mercy. So you can do forgiveness and justice, and it also doesn't mean that you'll necessarily be restored in a relationship because they're two different topics altogether. And when we talk about forgiveness and justice, uh, it, you're not necessarily, quote, off the hook. As a matter of fact, when, when the Bible talks about forgiveness and making things right as much as it's up to you, right, it goes on and talks about justice right after that. Look at the passage in Romans chapter 12, one that many of you committed to memory. If it's all possible, as far as it depends upon you, live with peace with one another. Absolutely. Perfect. Okay, what do I, what, what do, I do about justice? Well, he goes on in verse 19, don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. Wow. God's wrath. God's wrath, not your wrath, as it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And he's, what he's saying is you, you want to right, act 
justly and love mercy and walk humbly. What that means to live by faith, to live humbly, is to trust God for the justice. Because it, it, God will avenge. That's what he does. That, you're delegating that to him. And it, just to prove this point that it's okay to say, I forgive you, I'm pressing charges, there's an unfortunate um, chapter break because after chapter 12 comes Romans chapter 13. And the next paragraph when he says, I will repay, he says, all authority that, of the governments are servants of God and so if you're doing wrong, you should fear the government. There's a reason it has the power of the sword. And in our case, it would be the power of guns and, and prisons. So do good because they're serving us. In other words, uh, the, the way God has set things up is the, the judicial system in our culture, in, in America, is set up by God. By faith, we're going to trust that he'll take care of that. And, and by faith, I'll be living. I will walk humbly by turning that over to God and letting him take care of it. We're not living by faith. We're not walking humbly when we, we look at an issue of forgiveness and we, and we say, it's, you're not doing it right, God. You're not doing it fast enough or, you know, right, on my timetable or the way I would do it. And so I'm going to hold on to grudge. That's what bitterness is. It's not, that's how you're not trusting God for justice. So the point is, is that, um, that you can still say, Oh, I forgive you. I'll tell you more about this in just a minute. I forgive you, but I'm going to need to press charges. A second misunderstanding with, with forgiveness is that there's necessarily reconciliation. And again, there's, there's, it's two different topics altogether. They're related in some respects, but uh, forgiveness is something that you do. And, and it sometimes it's, it can be short. It can take a short period of time. But uh, restoration, and usually relationships are built on trust, and trust takes time. Trust takes uh, work. So forgiveness is something that is based on giving someone grace and mercy, but trust is something that's earned through consistency. You're consistently trustworthy. So you can forgive someone and not necessarily trust them because they haven't become trustworthy. So, um, so reconciliation, reconciliation is dependent upon repentance. So if another person doesn't repent... It's going to be very difficult to reconcile, but it doesn't prevent you from forgiving them. Okay, you need to like chant this in your head. Forgiveness is an attitude not based on their action. Forgiveness is an attitude that I have not based on their action. So I can forgive regardless if they respond to it. I can forgive regardless if they repent. I can forgive a person regardless of whether they even feel like they need it. Because this is an attitude that I have, and, and friends, this is for my health. There's a lot of motivations in the Bible that you'll find for people to be a forgiving person or to grant forgiveness for the love of God because you received it. We'll see those. But, but know this, if you don't, you, you take yourself prisoner. You are a victim of your own bitterness, okay? And in Christianity, if, it is forgiveness, and forgiveness is Christianity, it says in the book of Acts during a big sermon, right? Everybody that believes in the Lord Jesus is forgiven. It's commanded in the Bible. It's in your bulletin as your Bible memory tear out. It says uh, in Ephesians, right? It says, uh, be kind and compassionate to one another. It sounds like a Thanksgiving dinner, right? Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, how and why? Just as Christ, God forgave you. He's forgiven you and you should forgive other people. Be nice, forgive other people. 
because you've been forgiven. Now, it's in this context, right, of forgiveness being primary, and please, now that we understand what it's not, that Jesus says you should forgive 70, 70, 77 times, or some translations will say seven times 70. The point is, there's no end to this. There's no end to it. And so, it's, it's after this little punchline that he has with Peter that he says, let me tell you a story. And he tells this wonderful story. And in this story, it's gonna, it will, it'll help us understand the motive of, of forgiveness that we grant and how to forgive. <laughs> and if you'll, you, some of you know the story, but if you look carefully at verse 27 as we read it, I'll put that one on the slides so that you'll see that's where forgiveness takes place in our story. Okay, it's Matthew chapter 18. Again, we're still there. Verse 23, soon after what Peter was asking about, Jesus says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began to settle them, a man owed him 10,000 bags of gold. And they brought the man to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master uh, ordered that he and his wife and his children be thrown into debtor's prison until he could repay the debt. Verses 26 says... At this, the servant fell on his knees before him, and he said, be patient with me, he begged. He begged. Look at that sentence. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. Here's the key. The the servant's master took pity upon him. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. Man, that's a great story. It's not how it ends. Verse 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred silver coins. And then he grabbed him and he began to choke him. And he said, pay back everything you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant, this sounds familiar, his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged, be patient with me and I'll pay it all back. But he refused. And instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. And when the other servants found out what had happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And the anger of his master, in, in his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. And in summary, this is how your, my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and your sister from your heart, in your heart deep down real. You need to forgive your fellow man. You need to forgive the person that has sinned against you or against somebody that you love, a family member, a child. You have to do this. And and the way you'll do this is you will trust God to deal with the justice part. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And you're going to pass that off. And this is best for you. You do this because God said so. You do it because you've been forgiven. But you do this for you because bitterness is a prison all by itself. And it becomes more torturous as you, I I don't know, as as you pet it and groom it and clean it. Uh, one, One writer put it this way about anger and how, how captivating anger is for the soul. He says this, Of the seven deadly sins, anger is the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue and at the prospect of a bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last, last toothsome morsel of pain that you'll be giving back to them. And in many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback, of course, is what you're wolfing down at this feast is yourself. The skeleton at the feast 
is you. If you don't forgive, your soul will warp. It, it, will, it, it will maladjust. Okay. And if you can't forgive, if you won't forgive, you're broken. This person, he, he's wicked. He's a wicked servant because he could not forgive and he would not forgive. And you need to seek help. This story tells us what forgiveness looks like. He look, it tells us what the motivation is. Take notes. There's three things that the king does in this single sentence. It's going to help us better understand what forgiveness looks like and how we can do it. The first thing he does is he took t- the king, he takes pity on the man. Verse 27, he says, the servant's master took pity on him. And um, uh, pity, uh, wait, another translation says, have compassion towards We've been looking at our souls were meant to turn out towards other people. When, we're, when we've been hurt, we turn in and we focus on ourselves and our self-righteousness. And, he's, and this king looked down and could identify with him, took pity on him, meant he could, get, he could put his heart inside right, of the offender's heart and relate to them, to sympathize with them or to empathize with them, see that there's a connection, there's an overlap. Maybe they're not so far apart. I'm going to stop for just a second here and say something parenthetical because we have a number of people in our church that have been uh, real-life victims of, of evil. They've been prisoners of terror. There are some that are on a, a, a special protection, protection services with the government because they have to be safe as victims. And when we talk about that type of evil, that type of imprisonment, we're not talking about relating to someone or having pity with someone as to identify with them because if you're a healthy human soul, you can't identify with a sociopath that's motivated and instructed by dynamic, like demon possession or something. Do you you understand? You can't relate to somebody that is insane. And so you can pity them if you're in this category. I'm standing way over here. If you're, in, if you're a victim of that sorts of torture, you can pity them when you look at that person like you would like a stray dog on the side of the road in Mexico. And it's a terrible thing to look at. It's not even, you can't, so you can pity it this way. But what, he, what the king did here is different. Okay, end of statement over here. There's just people here that have experienced that, and I don't want to demean that. I don't want to say you relate to that evil person. I'm saying, no, you can't. But for most of us, we've suffered what, we, what it means is I, you, you get inside the person's soul and you say, I, I, I'm choosing to do the internal work to see that we're a lot of like. There's a lot of overlap between right, them and me, him and me. And I can, if, if, especially if you decide to put some work into this and you look into their background and try to empathize with the way they're, some of the things they've experienced, you can find yourself saying, okay. But your soul doesn't want to do that. And this is what's holding up forgiveness. Your soul wants to separate and distance yourself from that person. And as one writer said, we make, in our minds, we make caricatures of them. When we envision a person that's injured us, we make caricatures of them in our minds so that we exaggerate the things that they, they, like, that they are. Like, you remember caricatures, they're, they're drawings, you know, right? They're cartoon drawings of what your face looks like. It's nothing like, like what Pixar would do or some artist that would do it in a flattering way. It seems like a, a good way to make a living, make them go, look good. But when we characterize, or caricaturize someone, it's usually an exaggeration of a facial attribute, right? You go to the carnival when you're in high school or something, and they draw pictures more like this. 
right? So if you have a narrow chin, right, it's hyper narrow. If it's a long jawline, that's all you see, big teeth or nose. And if you've ever had one of these done, again, usually it's at a vulnerable age, the rest of your life, when every time you look in the mirror, all you see is the big ears or whatever that person drew. But think about what, the, the point is, what this writer was saying is that we, we make it this caricature of a person that's injured us, and they're always lying, they're liars, they're, you know, they're vanity, and they, and they make them in a demented way because it, it makes us farther apart from each other. We're not pitying them. We have, to, we have to choose to realize that maybe we're not that different from, from that person. A, a person, this is a great quote from one of a, a scholar who says, forgiveness flounders, it dies. It flounders because we exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as we exclude ourselves from the community of sinners. So in a self-righteous way, we exclude ourselves from the community of sinners. Like, I would never and could never do such a thing. Okay, I'm just above that. How could that happen? And that keeps them at a safe distance, and you can justify holding your grudge. On the other hand, while you're doing that, you're doing this caricature of them that, that could never be that disproportionate if they're even mildly healthy, and you say, they're not even human, right? We've alienated them from the society of humans. And, and, and while you're doing that, that caricature, you're building yourself a jail. You're being able to justify your bitterness. You can hold on to lack of forgiveness, but it's killing you. And here, here's what's, I, this is what's crazy about this story, and this is why it's, so, it's such a wonderful story. It's very well told by Jesus in that the, if there's ever a person that should get pity in this story, right, it's the wicked. That's why he's called wicked. It's the wicked servant. Okay, Jesus intentionally uses almost the exact same sentence. Do you think he could relate to someone that would be in a lot of debt and couldn't pay it right back? Yes, because he says he fell to his knees and he begged that, he would, that he'd be patient until I could pay it back. And then he grabs that, that servant that owed him a little bit and, said, and that exact same, he fell to his knees. He begged that he'd be patient to pay it back. See, the wicked servant thought he was different. He thought he deserved mercy but he didn't think anyone else did. He didn't love mercy. He didn't act justly. He didn't love mercy. He wasn't walking humbly. First thing the king did was he, he had pity. He showed pity. The second thing he did is he, he canceled the debt. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt. Okay. This is the key. Listen, this is the key to forgiveness. This is the key to the means of forgiveness. And the key is this. When you look at the story and you do a little bit of homework and some study Bibles will help you with this, it's the amount of debt the wicked servant was in that's important. That makes everything work. Because it says he was 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 units of measure. There's no, it's, a, it's a weight of measure. Some will say talents. And it's hard to tell how much that will be. But every commentary will say this. It's an exceptionally an excessive amount. Some will try to do the math and basing it on the current price of gold. It would be hundreds of billions of dollars. And so this, this person must have been a regional governor of some type, and he's either really bad at managing or he's embezzling. He's corrupt. And it's hundreds of billions of dollars, and he says, be patient with me until I can repay it. If all his assets are seized and his whole family goes into debtor's prison, he'll never pay this. He has no hope here. 
That's the point. He has no hope of ever repaying this debt. That's our feeling towards our debt towards God. And so the master has pity for him, and he loves mercy. And he's walking humbly, and so he just says, I'll pay the debt. I'll pay the debt. Part, the second part of forgiveness is just saying, I'll pay the debt. And it's, Jesus goes to a monetary use uh, for an illustration because that's pretty easy. I mean, if I came um, to your house and I knocked over a vase, smashed it on the ground, then it's you. <laughs> We're just going to look at it and we look at each other and say, okay, who's going to pay for the vase? And so either I'm going to pay for the vase because I knocked it over, or maybe I can't afford it, and you pay for it. The point is, is a vase doesn't mystically appear. Someone has to eat the cost of this. And when you forgive someone, okay, you're, you're going to pay the cost of that. And this is so easy to understand financially. What about real forgiveness? There's so much lost, and you wish you could put a price tag on it, right? There's, there's injury to one's soul. There's opportunities of what could have been or what might have been, a friendship destroyed, uh, embarrassment, loss of face, for example, in front of other people. There's a real debt, and you feel the real debt. Oh, it's a it's, it's deep sense of sorrow, and you want someone to pay. And there's only, there's only two choices, honestly. There's two choices. One's imprisonment, and, it's, and it says, okay, I'll make, I'm going to make you pay. Well, how do you make someone pay for something that's not financial? You just like, when I'm going to look for opportunities to talk bad about the person. I'm going to maybe spread some things about the person. I'm going to, I'm going to sometimes just emotionally, we long for the day of their ruin. We look forward to hearing those stories where things didn't work out, right? And, and, and you're, you're hoping for, just, I mean, come on, karma, you know? Right, and you're not trusting God because I want it in my lifetime and I want it to happen the way I would want it to happen. And again, it's turning in. And whether it's passive or you know, actively doing this where you're spreading these rumors or you're passively doing it, you, you need to be very afraid of this because, like I said, this power of anger that we just nurture and feast upon us, it's our own soul and it's trapping us. If you let the sun go down on this anger for too long, you don't become a person that's struggling with bitterness. You become a bitter person. Bill Murray, one time in an interview, was asked about a person that he was not so friendly with and said, well, what, what do you, how do you explain that? And Bill Murray said, look, when you become famous very fast, you're going to be a real jerk for two years. You can kind of count on that. I mean, it just happens. But here's the thing. After two years, it can kind of set. The clay can harden. And that's what's happened to that man. He stopped at being a jerk. That's where he, that's his identity now. And so you come out of a terrible divorce or some kind of uh, injury of betrayal. It's, I'm not suggesting you're not going to have a lot of anger and bitterness for a year or more. But listen to Bill Murray. After a while, it sets and you become that. So you can let them pay. You can have these hopes of destruction for them, or you can actually do things to set them up for failure, or you can pay the debt. Those are the only two choices. What does that mean? What does that mean, you pay the debt? Well, there's injury. There's a cost. And so every time you're in the middle of a sentence and you're saying something derogatory towards this, about this person, you stop yourself. And that stopping, when you stop yourself, that hurts. Heartbreak. <laughs> right into the dashboard. 
It hurts. To, that's forgiveness. When you're meditating on hoping ill from them and you say, stop it. You hear God's spirit say, stop it. You pray for them. You know how hard it is to pray for someone that you don't want to forgive? That's painful. You know what that is? That's you paying the debt. When, this, when that tape starts playing and reminding you all the things that were done unjustly to you, you throw the tape player away, and that hurts. Forgiveness is suffering, friends. Forgiveness is payment. I mean, Jesus on the cross, he was suffering. That's what forgiveness looks like. And, and, and God in heaven was crying. Those were his tears because it was costing him. So if, every time you say stop, every time you end a sentence in midstream, every time you feel one of these things that you want to do, but your soul is trying to pay the debt for them, here's what's happening. It's like you have a this is graphic, but it's like you have a, a pillow and you're smothering and taking the wind, the oxygen out of your self-centeredness and self-righteousness. And, and, and this, this, uh, this self-pity that you're bathing in and you're killing it slowly and you're becoming more and more forgiving and you're giving forgiveness in each one of these payments. I'm not suggesting it all. It happens all at once. But you're moving in one direction, self-imprisonment or, or the other direction's freedom. You cannot wait for your feelings for this. So many people, well, and I feel like forgiving them. Really? Feel like, no, you do this, and the feelings will catch up, okay? The feelings will imprison you if you, if you allow that. And so the only way to escape this prison is, one, you, you have pity for them. You connect with them, realize it's not, it's not far from what you would do or you've already done. The second one is you pay the debt for them. And the last thing that he does is he lets him go. He just lets him go. What else could he do? He, le he just leaves him to... to to live a life independent of the debt that he owed the king. And that's what you do. You set them free. Now, what's interesting is this story doesn't end there. Right? That's where it, would, it should have ended, but it doesn't. Because the wicked servant, while the king loves mercy, and he walks humbly with the Lord, the servant didn't. While he has this overflow of mercy that's been given to him, he's not giving it out. I mean, if there's ever a person that ought to come out, right, of the king's chamber and just like, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, right? I mean, he's like, yeah, everybody's debts are paid. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm out, you know, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't. And instead of overflowing with, with happiness and gratitude and being graceful to other people, he, it's comical what he does. He grabs the the first servant he sees by the throat before the person can even speak, and he grabs him by the throat, and he says, pay back everything you owe me. And that person, that servant, says that he goes to his knees. Again, it's a rewrite. He goes to his knees, and he begs for patience. There'll be none of that, and throws him and his family in debtor's prison. The forgiven would not forgive. That's why he was the wicked servant. Mercy did not change. The king sees this. this is, the king sees that mercy could not even change this heart. Grace transforms. We say that around here all the time because that's the only thing that can change a heart, but only a humble heart. Grace cannot change a proud heart, and this mercy could not change this person. And so the king says, well, 
I'm going to love mercy, but I'm going to act justly. And if this man demands justice, he can have it. We'll start with him. And he gets what he gave in the context of justice, and that's why he's, he's, that's why he's doing this. And so that's why, see, justice, maybe justice will convince him. You can act justly and love mercy and walk humbly. You can, for the love of God, say, I'm going to press charges. You can say, for the love of justice, I, I can't let this go again. You can say, for the love of the person, we've got to stop you from grabbing people by the throat and choking them. <laughs> And so we're going to need to call in the authorities on this. But listen, you, with all, you can do that. And you can do that for the love of them. You can do that for the love of you. For God's sake, do it. I forgive you. I'm pressing charges. Go to jail. Adolf Kors, in 1960, Adolf Kors III was driving to work like he did. Every morning at 7.30, he's crossing this bridge. And um, there was a man there that was that was stranded, his car was stranded, and so Mr. Coors pulled over and started helping him. It was not a stranded motorist. He'd been set up, this crazy sociopath, again, with little left of his soul, had been planning for two years to meet Mr. Coors on that bridge, and he assassinated him in a violent, merciless way, cruel way, threw him in the trunk of his car and drove off, leaving nothing but a little puddle of blood and and a hat. His son, Coors IV, was 14 years old. Can you imagine in that time of life when there's already enough anger in that soul? When they caught the man, they sent him to jail. But Coors IV couldn't live with it. He couldn't live. It was, the, again, the raging bitterness inside of him was dominating his life and his personality. Joined the Marine Corps. I'm sure that was helpful. Anger's a great motivation. And then when he came back from that, he, he got married and started running the company, he became the youngest president of the Coors, uh, and maybe even of all breweries. And he, and he used the rage to fuel his ambition so he could work longer hours, and he was trapped. And he knew it. And he had a conversation, several conversations with people about Christ and how he could be set free when his sins were forgiven by Jesus. And, and after realizing that he had been living... Uh, an empty life with all his wealth and power, he trusted Christ. He did, and he realized because of the 10,000 jewels of forgiveness that he received that he should forgive the person who killed his dad and shattered his life. And so he went to the prison, and he wanted to meet with the murderer, and the murderer wouldn't, wouldn't meet with him. He wouldn't repent. He wouldn't want to wreck. He wouldn't want to get anything right. But that didn't matter because forgiveness is independent of that, isn't it? And so, Chorus 4 writes a letter of forgiveness and gives it to the guard and says, give this to the man. And on that day, the prisoner was set free. He was free. He got off. Not the murderer, Coors. It was over. His persona, his motivation, his life took a radical change because he set himself free by acting justly and loving mercy and finally walking humbly and saying, I'm just going to have to trust God. I'm just going to have to trust God for justice. It's God who avenges. That's what forgiveness is. It's no longer holding an ill or an injury or a debt against someone. 
It's because we are able to pity them and find ourselves not different but more alike than they are. And that's a hard thing to want to do. But when we do that, we say, I'll pay this debt. I'll pay it. I'll feel the suffering until it's done. And then let them go. I think there's a lot of people in this room that need, <laughs> that need to do this today. So you might be free. Maybe an injury against you or your family member, someone close to you. Some, you've been carrying the bags way too long. And so let me have kind of an extended prayer time. If you wouldn't mind just walking through this and letting God's Spirit speak to you on this area of, of just fight right on this. Forgive, forgive. Lord Jesus, I'd ask that your Spirit that, that lives within us, if we've trusted you for the cost of our sins, then, then we have an overflowing uh, amount of mercy, and, and we want to love mercy. And so, Lord, I'd ask that you would bring to mind the face, not the caricature, but the face of the person or people that we carry with us day in and day out and chain us to bitterness and anger. And Lord, if it's possible, if, if they're not just insane people, I'd ask that you would give us the ability to, to feel compassion towards them or pity towards them or even relate to them. Dear Spirit, could you show us how we've made a caricature of them? How we might have exaggerated certain attributes that are entirely not true so as to keep our ego safe and our self-righteousness intact. And so I'd ask that you'd obliterate that. Maybe let us see them as you see them. Lord, would you give us the courage to go through the process of paying a debt and setting free <laughs> them and us? Could you give us the joy of salvation? Could you help us uh, learn to live in the way that you instructed us to, to act justly and to love mercy? Oh, love mercy, to get and to give and to walk humbly by trusting you that you're the judge, that you're the avenger, that you're the judge of justice, and we will trust in you for that. You don't need our help. That's how we live by faith. Lord, give us this freedom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.